The Rural Health Voice, Episode 95, The Farm Bill. Welcome to The Rural Health Voice. I am Beth O'Connor, your host. We discuss rural health issues at the grassroots level and how state and federal policies play out in our local communities. What does the Farm Bill have to do with rural health? Carrie Cochran McLean, Chief Policy Officer at the National Rural Health Association, joined me to discuss why the Farm Bill matters and what you can do to support it. Well, hello, Carrie. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Beth. It's great to be here. Oh, we so appreciate just taking the time to talk with us. And I want to start out with getting a little background. How did you first become interested in rural health policy? Oh, that's a fun question. So I am actually a fifth generation Montanan. And when I I went off to graduate school to get a a policy degree so I could save the world and um, happened to find my way to Washington, D.C., um, where I knew I wanted to get a little bit of experience and then I was going to return home to Montana. And I stumbled upon the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy, and it was a fabulous fit with the kind of work I wanted to do and the content just felt natural um, given kind of what I had experienced growing up. And 20 years later, I am still in Washington, D.C., but uh, thankful for returning to rural health policy work at the National Rural Health Association. And now you are the chief lobbyist for the National Rural Health Mm -hmm. Association. Do you fit the lobbyist stereotype of slipping elected officials big watch of cash for trade votes? Uh, My goodness, no. (laughs) I was actually just saying to a friend the other night, I am so thankful I don't do that type of lobbying because that's a whole different kind of ball of wax than what we do at NRHA. I know my title is, um, or Alan, our CEO, likes to refer to me as the the chief lobbyist for the association. I'm actually the, my formal title is the chief policy officer. And I think of what I do and what my team does and what all of our members at NRHA do is really advocacy and education. So my job is to talk to members of Congress, talk to the administration about what everyone is facing in rural communities, what we need to do to maintain and improve access to care, and what their role is in that. So I um, sleep very well at night, even with that lobbyist title, feeling like I am still fighting the good fight on behalf of rural America. So what do you do at NRHA? My team, we are the government affairs team, and our role really is to give voice to rural health issues at the federal level. So we have a large umbrella of members at NRHA, um, everything from a patient advocate to a clinician to a healthcare facility like a hospital up to a large healthcare system, as well as community-based organizations, researchers, state organizations. And our job is to help figure out kind of what the policies are within the association, working with our members, and where kind of the emerging opportunities are to move the needle and to implement our policies in a way that uh, affects change within rural communities. So how does NRHA decide what policy positions to take? So we are a member-driven organization. We are nonprofit, nonpartisan, and 
we have several different groups within the association that work to develop what we call policy papers or policy briefs on any number of rural ish- or issues facing rural healthcare, rural communities. And we go through a policy writing process where they develop kind of a background and recommendations. And then our large policy making, decision making body called the Rural Health Policy Congress then votes on whether to move forward with the recommendation as a policy opinion um, of the association. So it is truly a member-driven process. We as staff are involved with kind of assisting where we can, but we very much then take those policy recommendations made by the Rural Health Policy Congress and work to implement them. And we have other groups within the association, including the Government Affairs Committee that helps us figure out kind of the nuance or the technicalities of implementation of those policies. And how do you communicate what NRHA thinks needs to be done to members of Congress? Through a lot of different mechanisms. Um, We work really hard to have close relationships with members and staff, especially from more rural districts and in places or on committees, I should say, of jurisdiction or influence over the issues we care about. So we have got a whole kind of cohort of what I would call our rural champions in both the House and Senate, both sides of the aisle, both extremities or extreme, I don't know what the right word would be there, both levels of kind of everything from um, moderate to more extreme within each party, um, all of which who have kind of a common interest in rural health issues because of their their district or state. So maintaining those relationships, building and maintaining and staying in communication with those folks, especially on emerging issues is a really important part of our job. We also do a lot of outreach through kind of social media and communications platforms. We speak regularly with the press, which is an important part of how policy is made to kind of garner awareness and momentum around the issue that we're working on um, with Congress. And then last but very much not least, we uh, empower our members to have direct communication with their members of Congress so that the member is hearing from their constituents. You know, I have said before, and I'll say it again, me and my team can talk till we're blue in the face about an issue, but getting a phone call, having a meeting, hearing directly from a constituent is so much more powerful of a tool, of an influence on a member of Congress. So we do what we can to make sure our members have the information, tools, and resources to advocate on behalf of their communities. Yeah, I've heard NRJ mention it before that, you know, the voice of an individual community is more powerful. But, you know, we see all this screaming on TV and partisan politics. How much does the voice of a hospital director in rural America really matter? It matters a lot. We can bring up issues and talk to staff. And sometimes they are aware of what's happening. But honestly, if they haven't heard a concern from their constituents, they are 
much less likely uh, to move on whatever we're asking them to do. So it there is definitely a relationship there between kind of the tag teaming of our association working with members, but if they haven't heard about this being an issue, they're much less inclined to move forward with um, whatever we're asking them to do. Conversely, if they're getting their door beaten down or hearing regularly from um, folks in their state, then they are they're understanding that pressure, they're feeling that pressure, and they're understanding the need to move forward with policies. So I know it doesn't feel like it all the time. I know sometimes you do that outreach or you have that communication and it feels like it goes into a black hole, but establishing those relationships with your elected officials is so important and they'll start to see you as a trusted source and understand kind of what's happening in your facility on the ground in your community and um, be accountable to you as their constituent in helping to make that difference. I know the farm bill is due to be reauthorized this year. Why is that of concern to NRHA? You know, the farm bill, when you think about it, there's there's an obvious tie to many of our rural communities having some connection to agriculture or ranching or some kind of industry in that way. But the farm bill actually has so much more in it than kind of the commodity pieces that we think of. And NRHA has been really kind of in the last couple of years with the newer team that we have on board in government affairs, really um, doing our best to talk to members and talk to other associations who are in kind of this space to understand all those touch points to healthcare. So there are a whole slew of programs from programs within the rural development program, which really that rural development part of USDA really can stand up a community from like the ground up Rural development has critical programs. There are critical programs in the nutrition title. There are critical elements related to kind of farm and farm family um, mental health and behavioral health. So there's so much more in the farm bill than uh, I think people think there is at first glance. And so is the farm bill what funds the U.S. Department of Agriculture? It is, yes. So does it surprise people that there are funds for rural health within the USDA? I think so. Um, But it makes a lot of sense. If we're thinking about supporting our agricultural industry as a country, that we also are including resources and supports to make sure that the farmers, ranchers, fishermen, and others in our country have what they need to do their work. And having a strong rural health infrastructure is a big part of keeping our farmers, farm families healthy. So how does NRHA communicate the needs for USDA funds to urban members of Congress who see it as just supporting big ag? Yeah, I kind of stole this phrase from someone at rural development within USDA, and I modified it slightly given my perspective from being from Montana. But there is such a symbiotic relationship between urban and rural communities in this country. And urban areas are so reliant on rural areas for the food, the fuel, the fiber, 
and what I call the fourth F, which is the fun or recreation um, that they need to be able to thrive and survive. So urban communities, urban representatives um, in Congress very much should care what's happening in our rural areas across the country because they are a vital part of um, the overall success of, of the nation. And we certainly saw that play out during COVID where big outbreaks in rural meatpacking plants created food shortages in urban grocery stores. Yeah, it, there's so much of a connection between all of these kind of elements of industry and geography. And I'll say again, um, to, ho- to have healthy economies, you need to have healthy communities and healthy people. What can individuals do to support the passage of the Farm Bill to assure that sufficient funds are set aside for rural health programs? There's so much you can do. I will give you the easiest thing you can do on NRHA's website, which is ruralhealth.us. There is an advocacy tab. And uh, under our um, advocacy campaigns, you will see an advocacy campaign that is devoted to the Farm Bill. We at NRHA have, um, like I said, talked to members, talked to others in the field, researchers and others, experts, and and to staff in Congress to understand kind of what are the issues that are the highest on the list, what's percolating, what's really likely to move, And we've put that all together in a letter that we sent to leadership within Congress and especially on the agricultural committees in the House and Senate, outlining kind of our asks or our recommendations of what should be included in the bill as it relates to healthcare. So our advocacy campaign ties directly to that. Um, We have pre-drafted language that you can either use via our website or you can take and write your own letter or write your own email or make your own phone call. So like I said, we do what we can to do the background related to the asks, but we need individuals and they don't have to be NRHA members. Our website's open to the general public. We need individuals to help us get that content out and create kind of that momentum and pressure with members on the Hill. Now you mentioned phone calls and this is something I think surprises people. Can I really just pick up the phone and call my member of Congress? Is he going to answer? You can, but your member is unlikely to answer directly. What will likely happen is that there is a lovely individual at the other end of the phone whose job it is to field phone calls and be kind to them because they get a lot of really hard phone calls from folks. So know that they're there to be a resource for you. So um, they will likely put you in touch with a staff member of the representative or a senator of your state or district. And then that staff member would likely talk to you or work with you to schedule a time that you could meet or speak directly with the member of Congress. So the phone line won't go directly to your elected official, but it will go to the folks that work for them. And to be real honest, Sometimes having a strong relationship with those staff members is just as, if not more important than having a strong relationship with that member of Congress, because a good staff member is um, really helping to provide critical information, kind of sharing what information does get to the member of Congress, 
and helping um, to influence, or I should say inform, that member of Congress's decision. Well, sure, because when you think about all the decisions a member of Congress has to make, if you get on government websites, there are hundreds of different departments within the U.S. government, and a member of Congress has to vote on issues in every single one of those. No one's going to be an expert on every single one of those topics, so they rely heavily on those staff members to be able to dig into individual issues. That's right. And they're usually very young or early in their careers, which surprises a lot of folks. But don't be um, fooled by the age because they are some of the smartest folks I've ever met and very passionate and working long hours and working hard on behalf of their home districts. Like I said, they can just be a really fabulous resource for you as you're trying to move the needle in your issue area. You mentioned that there's a group called the Policy Congress who helps NRHA decide what policy positions to take. How do people get involved in the leadership of NRHA? Well, first become a member. We have a whole range of membership levels, um, depending on if you're an individual, your type of organization. We've got student memberships. We've got industry memberships. So there's, there's a lot of different ways to get involved. And then once you're involved, you get to choose from a range of what we call constituency groups, which are on different topics. So we have a hospital one. We have a clinician one. We have one related to rural health clinics, one related to public health. There's a whole range of topics. And as a member of that constituency group, you can run and be elected or in off-cycle or off-seasons be appointed to serve as a member of the Policy Congress on behalf of your constituency group. You can also run for one of our elected positions like president or treasurer or secretary, similar to the governance structure of a lot of associations. But we are an election-driven organization uh, selected by your fellow members. How else can people support rural health improvements in their home communities? Well, in addition to working closely with NRHA and being an advocate um, within the association, There are in, I think, 44 states now, because we just had a brand new version open up at the state level, state rural health associations, which are um, a state level of much of what we do at NRHA. They can be a terrific resource for you to get connected more locally and more in the state on policy issues. They also frequently um, share information from the national level in what we share at NRHA. Um, so you can do advocacy, you can get information sharing, you can you know, do collaboration and technical assistance through your state rural health association. There also are 50 state offices of rural health that are funded through the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services out of the Federal Office of Rural Health Policy. And those state offices of rural health are also information hubs They also can help with grant funding, with um, workforce-related issues, and um, provide technical assistance, less in the advocacy space and more in um, kind of the the clinical, like clinician or clinical or network or service kind of space. So those are some good statewide starting points for folks who want to kind of 
get more engaged in the rural health uh, sphere. If a student was interested in public policy as a career, what advice would you give them? Policy is one of those kind of amorphous things that means something different to everyone. And so, you know, I think there are a couple of different ways to experience getting involved in policy and having a career in policy. It doesn't hurt to kind of look at academic routes for that. A lot of folks who end up working in policy have kind of a political science background. I have a sociology background. Um, That was my uh, major in undergrad. It really helped me kind of understand the social structures and how we make up our society. My master's is in public administration, which is another degree I highly recommend in addition to kind of a public policy degree, public administration. I always say that's kind of like an MBA or a business degree for nonprofit or government work, but kind of familiarizing yourself through academic channels through in, in ways that government works and how policy and decisions get made. I also think getting involved in an issue is a really great way to kind of understand the ins and outs of how policy is developed. So for me, it's it was healthcare, but you know, I think as you think about what your passion area might be, and it doesn't even have to be a strong passion, it can just be an area that you're interested in kind of um, getting more involved, understanding how that aspect of healthcare or environment or, or whatever else, kind of doing what you can to get exposed to that. So that may be through volunteer work, that may be through internships, that may be through kind of entry-level jobs that'll just get you some exposure. And if you did want to work in kind of in Capitol Hill or within your state or local kind of policymaking, decision-making bodies. Um, An internship is a great way to get started if you can swing it financially. If not, even getting started kind of in one of those front office or uh, kind of entry level um, on the Hill, they call them legislative consultants jobs, is a great way to kind of get your foot in the door. And then that exposure will get you more and more kind of knowledge and allow you to build and grow that profession. Sure. Just sorting the mail at NRHA is probably an education in and of itself. Yeah. I mean, I, I am one of those people that I like to get my hands dirty. I think it helps me understand kind of the background context and just having that awareness um, of how things work and understanding how the pieces fit together. That's been an important part for me. And I actually started my career in government Um, and still would love to go back to government sometime if the stars align. But that's another way, um, you know, we we spend a lot of time talking about Congress and the role Congress has in making law and setting law. But there is a lot of power and a lot of policymaking that is done in the implementation phase um, within local, state, or federal government. So that's another place to really be able to have influence and understand how the process works and understand where there may be opportunities to make change. Last question. If you could do anything, what would you do to improve health and health care in rural America? So the thing about rural health and health care broadly is there's 
there's not just one magic solution. I get asked that all the time. I've had members of the domestic policy council within the White House call me and be like, what's the one thing we can do to save rural hospitals? And besides the obvious pay more, <laughs> which is never, you can't ever really be that direct. <laughs> it is, um, it's hard because there are a lot of factors. There's factors around having a strong or a robust rural health workforce. Um, there's obviously supporting the facilities and hospitals and clinics and clinicians that um, provide care in rural communities. Um, I will say related to your question about Farm Bill, one of the things that I feel very passionate about right now and I think really needs to be a priority is bringing our rural communities back to life and making sure that we have strong economies in our rural areas and thinking about funding kind of capacity development within our rural communities, whether that's, you know, small businesses, whether that's community-based organizations, whether that's kind of funding and resources for housing and other pieces, it's all so interconnected. You can spend all sorts of money getting someone healthy, but if they don't have a home to go to, if they don't have a job to work at, if they don't have um, child care for their kids or food to put on the table, it's awfully hard to keep them healthy. So I'm doing a terrible job of answering your question, Beth, but I think it's a multifaceted issue. And so um, if I had a magic wand, I think the thing that I would ask to be done is that every time a policy is put in place, that we're thinking of the rural implications around it and making sure that that rural communities, that the people that live there are being considered and are an equal part of whatever is being decided. Well, I thought that was a fantastic answer. I would, how's that for a non-answer? <laughs> it was perfect. It was perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you in the future. Likewise. It's been great. Thanks, Beth. That's Carrie Cochran McLean helping us understand that there is no quick fix for rural health issues. If you want to be part of the conversation about rural health, become a member of the National Rural Health Association to stay up to date on how you can advocate for policy improvements that will benefit our rural communities.